We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So continuing our exploration of Unit 2, which is Ayat, passages of the Quran related to the Prophet, peace be upon him. We've been exploring these two passages, if you love Allah, then follow me. And then Allah will love you. And he will forgive your sins. And Allah is the forgiving and merciful. And then if that is too hard, at the very least, obey Allah and his messenger. And if they turn back, Allah does not really doesn't really love the kafirs. So we had a lot of discussion about what does it mean to express love for the Prophet, peace be upon him. How does it play out in terms of those seemingly little tiny details? Uh, what about the second half of all this? Let's pull up the screen. Tech problems. All right. So once again, let me know if you can see the Quran on your screen. Yeah, very good. So, so Allah is saying to to, to the Prophet peace upon him to tell the believers, if you love Allah, then follow the Prophet peace be upon him. But the exchange Allah is giving in return is He will love you. And he will forgive your sins. So the consequence of following the prophet, peace be upon him, here is forgiveness. So let's speak a bit first before talking about the consequence about what are the ways to follow the prophet, peace be upon him. So y'all see my one note on the screen? So going back to this uh, little diagram here. We have Allah sent Jibreel, Angel Gabriel, as a teacher for the Prophet, peace be upon him. And then the Prophet received two types of revelation recited, which is the Quran, non recited, which is the Sunnah, and what is found in the Hadith. Once again, Sunnah and Hadith are not synonymous. To really make the point, Sunnah confirms the Hadith. It is not the Hadith confirms Sunnah. We're coming from a written tradition culture, all of us here. So we would often think of the writings as more reliable, and thus uh, they would be confirming the living practice. But it's the other way around. The Sunnah, the living continuous practice, confirms the Hadith. Okay. In any case, and then we said there's also a second category, Athar, which are teachings, uh, actions, sayings, doings of the companions of the Prophet, peace be upon him, which the belief is in Sunni thought would have been informed by the Prophet. And if they were doing something wrong, they would have been called out by other companions. Okay. But then in practice, following the Prophet, what does it mean? Regarding the Prophet, so... First, we have multiple meanings of the word sunnah. Okay. One meaning of the word sunnah is anything the prophet did. Okay. Regardless of level of obligation. So... The prophet prayed five times a day. That's a sunnah of the prophet. The prophet fasted in Ramadan. That's a sunnah of the prophet, peace be upon him. The prophet did hajj. That's a sunnah of the prophet. You all see the point that I'm making? That when we think of those things, we use the language of farb. But I'm saying the first definition of sunnah is just anything that the prophet did. Regardless uh, of, of, of its depth or value. Okay. And so wearing a ring, sunnah of the prophet. Wearing sandals, sunnah of the prophet. Uh, wearing a red striped clothing, sunnah of the prophet. Anything he did. That's one way to understand sunnah. Another way to understand... Where's... Uh, 
Okay. Don't know what just happened, but okay. So another another uh, example of Sunnah of the Prophet is level of obligation. Good. And in that case, at the top you have Fard, and then for the Hanafis, Wajib is slightly different. Good. And then you have Sunnah. And then you have levels of sunnah, sunnah mu'akkadah, sunnah ghair mu'akkadah, and then you have nafal. So this is the common Sunni reading. So sorry to your question, farth is sunnah, but not all sunnah is farth. Yeah, that's a reasonable statement. It basically comes down to how are we defining sunnah. So a sunnah is basically, according to the first listing, anything the Prophet did. Okay. So speaking the truth is a sunnah, because the Prophet did it. In the second category, this is now getting into Islamic law. And in Islamic law, giving, assigning weight to everything, we have those things that are mandatory. And what that effectively means is that if I do it, I get rewarded. If I don't do it, then it's sinful. Sunnah, if I do it, I get rewarded. If I don't do it, it may or may not be sinful. If I consistently don't do it, it may be sinful. If I consistently don't do it. But even then, there's subcategories of sunnah. Awesome, you had a question. Yeah, do these level levels of obligation continue into the, like, negative? Yes. And so, so we see that all as part of the same spectrum then? Yeah, so the, the common <laughs> spectrum is at one end you have fard, and at the other end you have haram. Closer to the center, you have uh, mustahab, which is essentially recommended. And then closer to the, uh, from the center, uh, closer to the center from haram, you have makruh. Then you have mubah, which is essentially permitted, but value neutral. So yeah. So, so sunnah would also include those things that the Prophet peace on him saying not to do. Now an example where you might have a contradiction the prophet, peace be upon him, there are certain types of food he didn't like to eat. But it was not impermissible to eat them. It was not even disliked to, to eat them. So it was a certain kind of lizard meat. He didn't like eating it. And Sarafadullah was like, I could really, I'm so hungry from fasting. I'd even eat lizard as in Urdu chipkili. Okay, so, so the point is that... Uh, Prophet Okay, so so the point we're making is that even though he disliked it, it doesn't mean that it's disliked Islamically. Uh, because that's exactly what happened. People are offering this, he didn't want to eat it, and they asked him, okay, uh, you don't want to eat, does that mean we're not supposed to eat it? He goes, no, I just don't like it, but you all can indulge. And so, Sarah, imagine the process of preparing that food okay so so this is level of obligation yeah. uh Shala. so um that was a good point you made um so the reason we know that it's not obligatory to not eat lizard is because somebody asked the question is this you know an islamic ruling and he said no but what about like all the other things like yeah where we don't know, like, because nobody asked the question at that time, right? So those would be either nuffle or they'd be nothing. So, so we'll add a category after all this, which will help start to, to really make sense of this, especially yesterday's discussion too. But suppose there's something today. I mean, there's no indication the prophet said, don't use an iPhone. I mean, would he be more of an Android user? But uh, there is no indication one or the other. And for that, then we would use, you know, adjudication and juristic thinking to figure out what would be an answer for these types of things. But even from his era, his era, it's hard to find things where he wasn't asked about. And either, if not him being asked or then the companions or the companions behavior giving an answer. There, it's like he was scrutinized up and down, left and right. But, Iqbal. 
So contrary to this, there are certain things that Rasulullah did it and advised not to do the, by the follower. That's also true, right? So there are some things that are specifically for the Prophet, peace be upon him. So like in the Quran, his prescription for marriage is different than the prescriptions for everybody else. And literally it says, this is only for you. That would be an example of something like that. Also the continuous fasting, for example. Very good example. Yeah, yeah, wonderful example, especially relevant now. That it was not uncommon for him to fast continuously. And the companions wanted to do this, and he would say, I'm being fed in ways you are not being fed. And you are not going to be able to compete with me. So don't do this. So give yourself rahmah. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Khuram. Uh, just a minor point, uh, considering the food and other elements, but then it comes to the socio-economical aspect as well, right? Because uh, in that uh, era and at that time, uh, and the prophet was like, he was never a rich man as well, right? So uh, he was only uh, able to afford so much. So there was some sort of limitations from that aspect as well mm -hmm. uh, for his access to the things. I don't know if you're asking a question or, or just commenting. Just commenting. Okay, okay, sure. Uh, let's see some of the other questions. Let's see. Uh, Asma saying, I know we talked about it a bit yesterday, but the Prophet received the Sunnah as revelation, or did we? So the Prophet received it as revelation. As in he was told, like, this is the way you yeah. do maybe yeah. here. It wasn't like because he understood the Quran so well, he interpreted it, and we took that as revelation for ourselves. So that would also be included, uh, because Jibreel salam, would be correcting his interpretation. I see. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Prophet Nari Briani, Isa saying, so would wearing a beard count under the category? Is it something that he just happened to have and people followed it? Or is it more religiously ordained? So the Prophet, peace be upon him, said to men, grow your beard and trim your mustache. The, the thickness, length of the beard, that gets debated. The, uh, the beard of Omar went down to his chest. Uh, or the prophet, as sometimes his beard went so long, they went down to his chest. The beard of Omar, he used to cut uh, 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 beyond the length of a fist. Some will argue that as long as you have enough of beard hair, a couple of hairs, that is sufficient. And then there's also other social cultural uh, variances and such. But that is a prescription of the prophet that, uh, uh, simply put here, when you're looking at this levels of obligation where I have farthen wajib separately, the Hanafis, and this is a separate detail, separate farthan wajib. Everyone else, farthan wajib is the same thing. Okay. And the difference is easy to understand, harder to explain. A fard, according to the Hanafis, you have to believe is a fard. And you have to do it. Okay. So, like, fasting in the month of Ramadan. I have to believe that it's mandatory and I have to do it, okay? Wajib, I have to do it, but I don't have to believe that it is mandatory, okay? That is wajib in the Hanafi school. Why? Because that which the Hanafis count as wajib plays out as sunnah in all the other schools. So tarawi prayers, Eid prayers, Witter prayers, in the Hanafi school are looked at as mandatory. Wajib. But in the other schools are all sunnas. Okay. Meaning, far you do it, you get rewarded. And if you don't do it, sin. Um, sunnah, if you do it, you get rewarded. If you don't do it, may, may not, might not be sin, unless you consistently skip it. Haram, if you do it, sin. If you don't do it, reward. So, Okay, uh, let's see. Taqreer. So silent approval. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to think of an example. But first, in terms of the categories of hadith, anything the prophet said, anything he did. And then the third category is basically anything he's been in the presence of and didn't say anything, which means he approves. So, but I'm, it's slipping my mind at the moment, probably because of a mixture of you know, the, the attention required for class. Can you think of an example? 
Okay. Uh, I'm sure he probably like watched a wrestling match and did not uh, um, criticize it, something like that. But let's see what else we have. I have trouble with the distinction between farther and wajib. Sorry, did my explanation just explain it? Okay, perfect. Okay, and what is the Shia teaching on this? So the Shia teachings in terms of Islamic law seems to be very similar. The Jafri teaching, a lot of it has to do with the origins, seems to be very akin to the Hanafi teachings, but there are different language that's being used. But Hanafi law and, and Jafri law seem to be very, very interchangeable on a whole lot of things. Ritual, uh, um, didn't Jafar Sadiq teach Abu Hanifa? This is a claim that has been made. I don't know that I've come across sound sources, but they're definitely, definitely contemporaries and they're definitely both in Kufa. So something is definitely going on there. Um, in terms of Salah, uh, Shi Salah tends to be very similar to Maliki Salah because the arguments were the same, that here's how the prophet prayed his final prayer. Therefore, that's what we're going to do. And the others are saying, well, he prayed this way because he was sick and he was tired. And the companions prayed, for example, with their hands up rather than at their sides. And so in Salah, for example, in ritual, you find the Jafaris, for example, more lining up um, with the other schools. But then there are other subtle differences. For being rewarded not to do haram, isn't there an infinite amount of haram I could be doing it at any point? Do I get rewarded for not doing all of it? <laughs> no, it's like you get tempted to, to do a haram. So, for example, let's say hypothetically you have a teacher teaching Islamic studies and wants to kill an undergrad and decides, no, that's not haram. Okay, they get rewarded for not killing them. Yeah. I'm not saying that's a real example. Okay. okay. Alrighty. <clears throat> so, back to sunnah. Sunnah is also the prophet, peace be upon him, plus the companions. In Sunni thought. And it'll appear on the screen hopefully in a second now, inshallah. But here in the construction of Sunni thought, what is the actual essential difference between Sunni and Shi? It's not who should have been the Khalifa, obviously that's a big part of it, but that gets backwards projected. It's to whom, on whom do we rely to learn about the Prophet and the Quran? So Sunnis rely upon the companions to learn about the Prophet and the Quran. Shias rely upon the Imams to learn about the Prophet and the Quran. So that's the actual essential difference. That's the practical difference, right? So in Sunni thought, hopefully it'll appear any second now. There it is, it's starting to appear. Um, Sunnah is the prophet and the Quran. So example, uh, so Isaac saying Ahlul Bayt. Ahlul Bayt is general, but in terms of the actual teachings, that's the Imams who are part of Ahlul Bayt, the family of the prophet. Okay, so the construction of that, which we call Sunni Islam, that which the companions are doing is understood to not be in a vacuum and not to be in a vacuum from each other. So they are looked at as being loyal to the prophet in his Islam. Therefore, what they are doing, especially in relationship to each other, is also looked at as part of the sunnah. Okay. But then we have another category. We have, let's see if I start writing this, will this other stuff appear? Little here. What if I put my iPad closer to the window? Oh, seems to be working. Okay, in any case, this other category that is not your computer on your screen is ittiba, which is to follow what the prophet did. Okay. In the categories of levels of obligation, this would be nafl. So all the stuff we looked at yesterday, the prophet's hair, the prophet's beard, the prophet's pillow, how the prophet walked, none of those things is he saying, do what I do. Right? The beard was, you know, we already talked about that. He's not telling you to have a pillow like his. He's not telling you to, to cut your hair the way he cut his hair. Okay. But then out of love for profit, or for the profit peace upon him, people do those things. 
that's called itteba. That is not sunnah. It's sunnah because he did it in that first category. The act of doing it is following him. And so in terms of reward level, this level of obligation stuff, that would be nuffle. Can anyone try to explain this back to me? Because it's, again, easier to comprehend, harder to explain. It's a simple point. Anybody want to try? They'll see if you want to try. Explain what? <laughs> Sunnah versus ittiba. Uh, Sunnah. No, I, I want to pass. Sorry. I'm... Okay. Shut up. Don't see. If, okay. Uh, anyone else want to try? Awesome. You want to try? Seriously? Sarah? I'm not trying to understand it. <laughs> Sarah's like, um, I'm still stuck at lizards. Okay. All right. <laughs> I can try. Try. Um, so from what you tried to tell us, I think Itiba is the one who like so Itiba is the act of following what the Prophet did, Sallallahu Yeah. But the part that I got confused on is that the reward for being mutabi'ah or one yeah. who is following. Check out the Arabic, mashallah. Look at me go. <laughs> um, the reward you get falls under the category of nafu yes. versus okay. why are we not getting sunnah credit? Perfect. Okay. That's the only part that I got confused. Okay. So everything you explained is fantastic and the clarification is very important. So if the prophet says, Okay, no. If Allah says to do it, probably fard. Okay. If the Prophet says to do it on the screen, either it's wajib or it's sunnah. Okay. If the Prophet did it, but he doesn't say to do it, in level of obligation, it's a nuffle, but the act of doing it is ittiba. The key point being, he did it, but he didn't tell us to do it. Yesterday, we were saying the motivation was love for the prophet, peace be upon him. And today I'm saying, suppose you're just doing it because you are that detail-oriented. You got all the farth covered. You got all the wajib covered. You got all the, the, the sunnas where we're prescribed by the prophet to do it covered, peace be upon him. And now you're getting really into the details. So, and that is ittiba. We're not told to do it, but uh, we're getting the nuffle reward. There are other things that he recommended doing as nuffle, but these would be things that he didn't even tell us to do it, except in the general sense of this ayah we're looking at to follow the prophet, peace be upon him. Okay, thoughts, questions, reflections? All right. If we're only addressing that second ayah where we're told obey Allah and obey the Prophet, peace be upon him, that'd be the orange part that I've just put around a line around. Fard wajib sunnah. Okay, the line will appear eventually someday. Okay, depending upon the Wi-Fi of the of where I am. Yeah. Ready for the next ayah? All right. Have a, a halal drum roll in your head. Surah 9, Surah Tawbah, which is a very, very tough, tough surah. So tough that one of the interpretations for why it doesn't begin with Bismillah Rahman Rahim is because of how tough this surah is. And yet this is the second to the last ayah, which is a very moving, moving ayah. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ So, indeed, indeed, indeed. There has come to you a messenger from among yourselves. Azizun alayhi. It's huge. It's horrendous upon him. Ma anittum harisun alaykum. It's horrendous upon him when you are going through difficulty. And with the mu'mins, bil mu'minina ra'ufu rahim. And with the believers, he is Rauf. He's a special type of kindness. 
and he is Rahim, right? Rahim we usually associate with Allah, and he is Rahim, eternally merciful. Okay. So this is the Prophet, peace be upon him, in how he thinks of his followers, meaning me and each and every one of you. That when you are going through struggle, when I am going through struggle, it is very heavy on him. What are your thoughts? Anyone? Osif. Yeah, you know, I think it's a, um, it can be, I mean, it's a beautiful ayah. And, and, and like you, the fact that it's in Surah Tawbah is, is really interesting. And I'm sure there's a lot more that can be said about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, mm-hmm. who passed away in his, you know, earthly life. Sure. 1400, over, you know, 1400 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, have like that quality and that relationship of concern and, and welfare and anxiety for our distress sure. in this life is something I think about. Sure. So you will find some schools of Sufis who read the present tense as present tense in the Quran. Uh, majority would read this as past tense, yet still applying for all of the ummah of his future. You're just about to say something. Yeah, no, no, just, uh, it could be that he, you know, the barzakh, like where we send, there's this thing going on, which, you know, is very mystical and we send salawat on the prophet and he sends it back to us. Okay, explain the whole thing to everybody. Uh, So there's a hadith of of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam um, that's come to us is very well known. I, I believe that whenever we send a salutation of salawat, blessings, and peace upon the prophet, he returns that. Tenfold. Tenfold. Yeah. And so that obviously is in, in the ghaib and, you know, unknown, and we're comfortable with the unknown, and it is a rahmah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nice. We do not know. <laughs> and so um, I'm not asking, like, what's the mechanism of it? Yeah. Per se, but could it be, for instance, that in his life, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he's made these du'as for the ummah for all time. That could be one way. Uh-huh. But another way may be related to also this, this ghaibi kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That uh, So there is discourse about how does death apply to the prophets, peace be upon them. So there's a very common notion that is not taught very often because it's too hard for people that I have to share very carefully because you guys are going to go tell other people and then I'm just going to have more controversy. But the, the point being that the prophets, peace be upon them, experience this physical death, but they do not lose animation and consciousness. Okay. And it goes so far as some sound people who teach that every year at Hajj, all the prophets go on Hajj. But they're in the realm of the unseen. So related to your point that when you send salawat on the prophet, peace be upon him, he sends salawat back to us. There is some understanding that there's some type of animation present. And by animation, change it to volition at the risk of using these big words, that he has, like, what is death essentially? It's the physical body no longer uh, exists, but you lose your power of control. You still have consciousness, right? Angels ask you, what is your, who is your, what is your religion? Who is your God? Who is your prophet? Peace be upon him. And then you're in the barzakh, which is like a sleep-like state, whereas for the prophets, peace be upon them, it seems that it's a little bit different. So somewhere there could be the mechanism if this is in the present tense. Uh, Shala, you had raised your hand and you're asking, is this like what was revealed about Prophet Isa, peace be upon him? I'm not sure specifically what, uh, uh, if you could tell us what you're talking or referring to. 
Um, just how it says that the that uh, Isa did not die, but we brought him back to us. Yes. Um, exactly. Like, yeah. So we can. You're kind of the same idea for all prophets. Yeah. The difference is that he will have the experience of death in the way the prophet someone had the experience of death, um, but uh, still active, not bound the way we will be bound in death. Iqbal. Uh, regarding this Rawful Rahim part regarding yeah. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I think same idea has been discussed uh, I thought Shala is making that point, but she, she made some other point. So Ayah 27 of Surah Hadid is basically talking about Hazrat Isa Thank you, and, and his his attribute, his attitude with his follower was like Rafa and Rahma, meaning like extreme, you know, extreme feel of pain among his follower and to the point whatever he can do to help them out. Mm-hmm. And it is was transferred to his follower too. The very same uh, Rafa and Rama uh, uh, attributes was f- transferred to his follower. So his follower actually took it from him. The very same thing that is uh, the Quran is talking about, Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. But they dif- drif- drifted from these uh, uh, monotheism introduction in it, and then that's where they deviated. So that's just, a, just a comment from the sure. this whole concept. Sure. Sure. Thank you. So how, because um, I think there's also hadith that says that when we visit graves of the deceased, they, they're aware of our presence. Yeah. So how, what are the different levels between this and the prophets? So the prophets, peace be upon them, seem to be at a level of some sort of uh, control of action. Whereas the common lay person um, does not have that. So it's like when you're in a dream and you don't really seem to have control um, of what's going on. Uh, that seems to be the barzakh, the death situation for the common layperson. Now, there's also the notion among the Sufis that you can reach a point as one of the awliya, as one of the friends of Allah, that you can have something similar to what the prophets have. Allah knows best. Again, I, all of that is more just for us to try to see if this is a present tense thing. If we read this as a past tense, that was present tense back then, then uh, I think uh, like Sarah's point, for example, it's the epitome of the empath and stresses the foundational importance of love, stresses the foundational importance of compassion, empathy. And, and so how does this feel for you individually that this is being stated about the prophet, peace be upon him, towards you? even if all of this was heavy on him 1,400 years ago, that this is his care and compassion. Asim. I have a a couple things. One is, I know since it was brought up, there's also a special thing about Barzakh for Shaheeds, right? Sure. No? (laughs) No, I mean, I was sure, but like what specifically are you? I'm, I'm not sure. I just remember it being told a long time ago. But I, I mean, Shaheeds have their own special thing that, you know, don't say about them that they're dead, that they're alive and with Allah. So it seems as though they have much more animation in the sense. A way to think about this is, and the Shaheed example might be a good example. So we are taught the Shaheeds are basically bypassing the day of judgment, right? So they're in paradise. And the prophets, peace be upon them, might be bypassing the day of judgment, but then still being held to account or going to account, you know, after the fact, Allah knows best. That gets into super theological speculation, right? Uh, having said that, I'd like us to focus on what the actual ayah says. Sure. Um, I, I think the other the other point um, about this is that it's very, like, I don't know, I feel like for, it almost feels like the, concern for hardship parents feel for their children's future mm-hmm. right it's like like you know i have a, a very young child Mashallah. and uh he 
Alhamdulillah so far hasn't faced very much hardship. Sure. Okay, uh, but what was it like, if you want to share, when uh, the little baby, the little man, how, what was it like for you when the baby was just sick, if you want to share, a couple of days ago? It was like for you as dad. I think it was the first time baby was sick. Uh, yeah, he was in the NICU for about a week at the beginning of his life, but he was it wasn't a, a big issue that sent him to the NICU. It was just for monitoring. Okay. But when he was when he was sick, it was... I mean, it, I, yeah, I don't know. I can't really put it into words. Um, it, it's petrifying. Mm-hmm. And like the sickness he had, like he went to the doctor the sort of the second day and she was like, yeah, he's fine. It, you know, we got COVID tested. He got flu tested and everything. It wasn't any of that. Um, um, and even after that, which in theory should give you <laughs> peace of mind, uh, there wasn't very much of that. Oh, totally. And so this is the experience of the prophet, peace be upon him, that he is always smiling. And we're talking like smile, smile, not like that angry smile that, you know, villains have. He's always smiling. And yet behind closed doors, he's full of grief. For yeah. us. Yeah, and I think that the thing I was answering is the idea of him having grief you know 1400 years ago for us mm-hmm. even though he didn't and and maybe this is incorrect but to my understanding he didn't know the struggles of each individual person right it depends on whatever allah shared with him okay fair enough yeah um so so like the rationalists would say obviously he did not but then those who are more you know of a spiritual longing bent will say that he's been given all kinds of knowledge Tosif. um nader had a question before i did in all fairness oh what does profit being concerned for us uh mean for us practically speaking i'd say try not to overthink it and just see what the ayah seems to be saying to you that uh, this concept of sympathy, this concept of empathy, that when someone you love is going through struggle, you feel pain on their behalf. They might not even know that you feel it. Like the way a parent feels when their child is struggling, you know, or the way a teacher feels when the student is struggling, you know, or the chaplain, et cetera, et cetera, like Tosif Savir. And so, so the point here is, uh, I'd say you'll get a better answer if you don't overthink it. Nevertheless, intercession can be something that he would then want because of that. So, and also connecting to previous, uh, we should strive to embody his quality. Yes. And okay, back to you, Tosif. And Nather, let me know what you think. Yeah, um, just a couple things. So when um, we think about this ayah, in relation to yeah. and we did not send you except the future ayah. Yeah, go ahead. It looks like the first half of this ayah somewhat is universal in that sense. Like it says, we sent you a messenger from amongst yourselves, general. And but then it gets specific to mu'minin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the question, like the question, contrasted like, with uh, mu'minin instead of, instead of, perhaps muslimin as yes. well, mm-hmm. um, and so, then that would be even ne- another level of exclusiveness. Potentially, or what do you? Okay. So, so the point that that Tasnif is making is that elsewhere in the Quran we have a difference between the Muslim and the mu'min. That a mu'min, a Muslim, is someone who obeys Allah and the Prophet peace be upon him. A mu'min is someone who has no doubt about Allah and the Prophet, peace be upon him, and they strive full speed, full force. And so, uh, nevertheless, when the word is being used on its own, more often than not, it seems interchangeable, Muslim and Mu'min. Whereas when Muslim and Mu'min are being used together, then they are describing two different things. And that's a technique of interpretation. Allah knows best. See what I'm saying? So, Ya Ayuhaladina Amanu, O you who believe, is not speaking to Mokmans, speaking to everyone who, who claims belief. 
Uh, let's see, Khurram and then Nader. Uh, just uh, adding a comment, not uh, going too much in the tafsir part, uh, like uh, side of it, but uh, we have a similar, we have another ayah in Surah Kahaf where Allah Ta'ala says that probably you will uh, kill yourself in the grief yeah. that people are rejecting, right? So this that's another sort of grief the Prophet has that mm -hmm. you are in the middle and there's a slanders, there's a rejection, and then you have a hardship of your believers or your followers in front of you. Right, so there's some, so both both angles we have, and there's a paramount element that the prophet is smiling and his character and his behavior, and we have a similar parallel now that uh, we see there's so much rejection and slander towards our faith, as as well as we have a suffering of uh, glo globally towards Muslims, right? Mm -hmm. There's um, hundreds of millions of billions millions of uh, people they are suffering so. That's a lot of uh, food for us here. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to suggest this is not responding to Khurram, but in terms of a lot of our discussion, I think we're getting cut too caught up in the academic point here. I'm asking all of us to, what does this mean to you? Good. And the actual lived experience. So this has been a common thing, especially in speaking about the prophet, peace be upon him, but even about Allah, we're, we're really fantastic at like the academic analysis wonderful useless in terms of life uh, speaking as theology professor chaplain all that stuff that i do right you know saying what does this mean for you sarah oh sorry nather and then sarah um i think my point might be an academic point um <laughs> go for it but all points are well. um how so like i don't know i was just thinking about the i and it's saying like uh, a prophet's come from uh from from your Which midst yourself. right yeah um so i don't know it just prompted me to wonder should we respond differently to um the prophet's love for us versus god's love for us oh nice yes i mean i mean god's a creator um uh, think of them as being sort of the same orientation but part of god's love for us is that he sent the prophet to love us make sense Yes, um, makes sense. I don't know what that means, practically speaking. I don't know that it means a difference. <laughs> but, I mean, any celebration of the prophet is a celebration of God. Right? For God is the one who gave us the prophet, peace be upon him. And so we are always looking at the prophet, peace be upon him, as a messenger of God, as a creation of God. Right? And so a vessel through which, if not the primary vessel through which Allah teaches us is through the Prophet, peace be upon him. But the love that Allah has is not coming only through the Prophet, it's coming through our parents, society, me, you know, whatever whatever the, the sources are. Whereas the love that the Prophet is giving us is coming through the Prophet, peace be upon him. Make sense? Yes, thank you. Good. Uh, Sarah Shala Farah. Um, so, um, in response to kind of how, um, how I feel about the ayah, yeah. um, to be honest, I think the word that always kind of keeps coming to mind for me is just sort of overwhelmed mm. because as someone who kind of works with other people, um, I mean, sometimes everyone, listening, what is it? Does everyone work with other people? <laughs> works with people who like, who like very much so open up. Um, which is unusual. It's like an, an unusual addition to. I'm so I'm a dentist, so a lot of times I think. Oh, so you mean people, open up like? <laughs> no, no, I'm, kidding, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Please, please continue your point. But they do. So they open up, like you know, and share lots of different things. Sometimes like heavy, mm -hmm. heavy information, um, or heavy instances about their lives. Um, and then those are those are just you know those are patients versus you know, people that's, that are your family, people you like really form a strong connection with. Mm -hmm. And so for the Prophet them to not only, um, I suppose, like take on that burden that, that we take on ourselves, then to, I suppose, work through it enough in order to continue to be uplifting to the public by continuing to smile, by continuing to spread positivity is like, incredible to imagine incredible to imagine so it's just like not only does it make me feel like i need to be 
always more grateful, always kind of put my own problems into perspective because like, I just really have to deal with my own beef. Not like Pastor Sedum who's like taking on everybody's mm-hmm. problems, but then also to try and channel strength as much as I can. So it's like, it's overwhelming, but in a very beautiful way, if that makes sense. Like challenge accepted, but mm-hmm. it's a very hard one to, mm-hmm. to match. Mashallah, thank you. Shala. Yeah, I would just echo what Sara said. Like it's overwhelmingly beautiful. And this, you know, really, it's just such nice insight that Allah gives us about the Prophet. Like, you know, there's there's some things, you know, throughout the Quran that tell us about him, right? But we learn a lot about him through the Sunnah, through the Hadith. But this is like directly telling us. And it's just, mm-hmm. I don't know, it just increases my love for him. Mashallah. I would say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Farah. Um, I'm uh, reading the, or trying to reflect on the verse on two, two different, uh, um, you could say, levels or aspects. One is, yes, taking the Rasul as particularly the historical figure of the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. and saying that, um, uh, first of all, establishing, okay, do I, what do I need? Do I need a prophet? First mm-hmm. of all, like, what is the significance of a prophet? What it, who is it? What do they do? And do I need it? And so in inculcating this question, I am um, reflecting on the idea that um, whatever action that I do, or the fact that my reflection or questions in life about who I am, why, what this life is, what is my purpose, how to live to its fullest and, you know, in a content manner, that there is an, then in that reflection, I seek um, or I am comforted by the idea that there is an example that shows you the best way in which this is possible. Um, And that any hardship that I feel in pursuing this purpose of life and finding meaning in my life was experienced by this individual who, you know, or there must be an individual who's done it better than me and better than most, or if not all. And so um, in being, in creating this empathetic relationship, like I can try to speak from my perspective, which is that whatever hardship I feel, I know that someone has gone through it and understands it. And so being able to connect uh, this idea that, you know, um, the prophet feels it or felt it doesn't, you know, the tenses, I guess, don't matter, but that I share in this struggle with someone who has demonstrated the best way possible through it. Um, because I do want to circumvent the, our, the, the topic of like, whether or not, how alive is the prophet now or not, but sure. because essentially I'm connected through I'm connected to him through my acts, whether he's physically alive or dead, doesn't matter. But in my act, I'm connected. The other um, point that um, I felt like making was that Rasul, in this case, is not saying Muhammad in particular, because in the Quran, like the word Rasul is used for even angels or for, you know, God sending the Quran itself. So mm-hmm. anything that accents an intermediary between the divine and you. And so I'm not sure if this is getting too um, grammatically incorrect, but Rasulum Min Anfusikum is also the messages that I get from within my consciousness, mm-hmm. telling me, making me aware of who I am and who my Lord is. And if I am not going to listen to them, then of course I'm something is going to uh, feel at loss. Mm-hmm. If I deny those messages, whether even I get them from creation itself through angelic mm-hmm. sort of messages, so um, so in the second aspect, I'm I'm tr- I'm hesitant to just say the historical Muhammad, but also expanding it to any intermediary mm-hmm. of which he's a, a, a living example. So, which would you say would be more likely in your read that this is referring to the I prophet like if, or anything? I'm also thinking like, okay, if one day I read it, it's going to be one meaning. The other day it goes to another meaning. So I'm not trying to limit them. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Thank you. Tawseef. 
Yeah. Um, if I thinking on it practically, like, you know, like a lot of what has been said, um, you know how in the beginning of Fatiha or with the Bismillah, with the Bismillah, you have, what does it take to become a relationship with Allah? Allah is giving freely this mercy and this compassion. This Rahma is descending, but it doesn't become a relationship until you respond to that, right? Um, so there's this cause and there's that effect. And so similarly with the Prophet Wasallam, whose pain and hurt for the Ummah is going to be greater than all of ours, uh, and his empathy and his compassion and all of that, um, it will become a relationship with the Prophet Wasallam when we respond by following him. And being harisun ala sunnah of the Prophet. When we are like the word here, haris, um, you know. Uh, Ardently desirous. Yes. Yeah, nice. So to finish it off, uh, so you can all gather how much Awesome loves his tiny baby. And Awesome sh shared with me many, many different ways that he loves his tiny baby. That the Prophet, peace on loves. Awesome and loves Awesome's tiny baby more than Awesome loves the tiny baby. So, all right. Inshallah, tomorrow we will continue with a different ayah. Right. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastagfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastagfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Glory to you, O Allah, and praise and gratitude are to you. Nashhadu la ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu And we seek your forgiveness and we turn to you. May Allah tell our word to you all, inshallah, and we'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.